Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host, Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. Welcome to another episode of the Happier at Work podcast, where I will be speaking with Bill Phillips all about time shifting. Really, really interesting concept related to mindfulness and being in the present moment. And Bill shares with us some really, really great stories and some great tips about what you can do to bring your attention back to the present moment and really start to notice a difference in your approach to time. So let's get started. Welcome, Bill, to the Happier at Work podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you. Yes, of course I would. And and thank you for inviting me, Eva. This is lovely. Um, I spent lots of years uh, being concerned, like you, about um, people feeling okay at work. And when I say lots of years, I suppose the the strongest beginning of that was back in the mid-1980s when I was the uh, training manager at Manchester Airport in the UK. And uh, we'd put our senior managers through um, one of these, what at the time was brand new, the competency framework uh, process. Um, We'd put them through a three-day event where they were tested and prodded and poked. And most of them came out feeling pretty badly bruised and, and quite stressed. And these were really confident, brilliant senior managers. And I thought, well, if that can do that to those people with that amount of experience, what about the rest of us? Uh, and I devised a program with a little team to help them put themselves back together again and to, to build those competencies. And it was really then in kind of 1986-87 that I became really interested in how can we help people stay okay at work? Because I was recognising that many people in that company weren't happy uh, at all. Um, and so... In those days, I'd, I'd been a trainer for about 10 years. Um, that was where I first got into to training in the early, very early 1980s. And um, I've been a management consultant and a coach and a trainer internationally um, ever since the early 1980s. Um, I'm a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, which is really a study of how human beings put themselves together, how we communicate with ourselves and other people, and how we construct what we call our reality. Um, and I think what we're dealing with all the time is, is what is everyone's impression of, of what's real around them. Um, so lots of, the, lots of the worry, lots of the sadness, lots of the discomfort for people at work comes from their own method of constructing their own reality. Uh, that's my view. So that's a field that, that's interested me for a long, long time. Um, and I work in the field of leadership development and management development and personal communication. And I train other people as coaches. And I do that in several different countries. I've been doing some work in Latin America um, more recently because I work in Spanish as well. And um, so so that's really a very brief kind of um, background to me. Brilliant. And I know when we met at Amanda Delaney's We Can and We Will breakfast morning a few months ago, what we were talking about was very much NLP. And in terms of um, the podcast today, then we're going to focus very much on time shifting, which having read your article, I'm so fascinated to really dive in and to get started on talking about this. So can you explain a little bit more about what time shifting actually is? Yes, time shifting was something I I came across in Actually, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was it was uh, early January 1997. 
I just felt a really lousy, spent a really lousy new year having separated from a long-term uh, relationship with my partner and 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 having the, the lady that I'd fallen in love with tell me she didn't want to marry me. So I was feeling really lonely and sorry for myself. And I was in the Lake District in the UK in a tiny bookshop. And as I was walking out, my eye caught the spine of a book in a little, uh, a little bookshelf, uh, time shifting. And I pulled this book out and I was fascinated by what it said. It was time shifting, uh, an, innovative, an innovative way to, to create more time for your life. And I thought, well, I could certainly do with more life right now because it, it felt like mine was on its way to ending. Uh, I was so unhappy. Uh, it was a few months before I got to read this book and I was deeply fascinated by the idea that time really tricks us all because time itself, it, it doesn't actually exist. It's one of the illusions that we live our lives by. And I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a few minutes. But really, it's fundamentally about how do you learn how to get out of the rat race for a few moments or a few seconds and take a deep breath and just be here in the present moment? And, and step out of feeling stressed for a present moment just to keep yourself stable and sane. Um, so time shifting has that theme, really. Yeah, I'm sure it's something that a lot of people could benefit from, myself included. You know, it's this um, something that I read in the article was around this, the concept of time being linear versus time being, you know, I, I mean, I'm not sure what the alternative is. Is it kind of circular or or this idea of living in the present moment and it's there's no past and there's no future. It's only now. Yes, it's an interesting thing because if you really pay attention to time and start to study it, which naturally I have, um, you realize that there's no such thing as time. Time is something that we've created as an impression of um, events starting and finishing and the duration of those events, if you like. But when you think about actual time, past, present and future, most of us think, well, surely I, I'm living in the present all the time. But in fact, our attention isn't here, even though our body is. So, for example, for much, almost any moment of the day, you're not here thinking about just what you're doing. You're remembering something or you're imagining something that's going to happen later. So you might be worried about, I still haven't paid the rent and they're going to throw us out if we don't get enough money to do that this month. Or... Um, or I must uh, make sure I prepare for that meeting and be ready for it on time. Um, all the time that your mind is in those places, it isn't here. And uh, and so that's really what we're dealing with. We're dealing with our attention. Where is our attention? And the idea of, uh, well, I mean, most people have heard of mindfulness and, and there's a great interest in mindfulness at work. Um, and mindfulness really comes from exactly the same place as time shifting, Time shifting was devised by an American uh, medical doctor um, called Stefan Rechtschaffen, and he wrote a book about it, this book that I mentioned, that I discovered back in 1996. And um, he trains people in how to understand the, the effects that time has on us. Um, so most of us get up in the morning. One of the first things we do is we look and see what time it is. We put our watch on. And from then on, our day is controlled by our time. Um, for example, most of us these days don't just turn up at a pal's house and say, oh, I've come to see you. We make an appointment, even with our friends, even with our family. Um, whereas when I was young, you know, families, my whole family would go and visit one of my aunts or uncles and we just turn up 
and they'd be there and they'd say, oh, lovely to see you come in. And we'd spend a few hours together enjoying one another's company. That kind of doesn't happen these days. You you make an appointment to do that. You ring them and say, are you going to be in on Sunday? If we come over at two o'clock and somebody says, well, OK, we've got an hour till three. So you can certainly come over until three o'clock and then we've got something else to do. So it's like our lives are controlled around the clock and and the, everything we do is limited by time. You know, we turn up at a certain yeah. time for work and we leave work at a certain time. We have a project to do and it has to be done by four o'clock. And if it's not done by four o'clock, you're really in trouble. Uh, and you've got a six hour piece of work to do in two and a half hours because the boss says it has to be done by four o'clock. And that's where our stress and, and our energy gets sapped um, through being controlled by time. And the time shifting that Paul, uh, Stefan Rechtschaffen was talking about was the ability to recognize natural time is when the sun goes down and it gets dark and then it comes up again and it gets light and and the time of when we feel hungry. And funny enough, even today, most of us eat by the clock. We don't eat when we feel hungry. We eat when it's time to eat. Um, so if you say to someone, you're feeling hungry, the first thing they do is they look at their watch. <laughs> notice, notice that it's a, it seems a strange thing but when you pay attention to it you'll realize that's absolutely true people think hang on a minute how long was it since i last ate something is it is it time for me to eat something again now yeah. and so and, and so that's the notion of this that that we feel our lives controlled by time and in fact the unconscious um sense we have of time comes out in the kind of metaphors that we use think about you know everyone knows things like time is money you're wasting time you're losing time you'll never get it back again once it's gone it's gone all of those is treating time as if it were a thing that is possessed or held that you can save that you can waste that you can spend uh, and so on and in fact it, it's an illusion it's just a word time doesn't actually exist all there is is this very moment as you take this breath and then this moment as you take this breath and then this moment as you take this breath and so mindfulness and the idea of learning how to be in the present moment is saying how can i stop for a moment thinking about what hasn't happened yet and thinking about what's past and what i should have or shouldn't have done how do i just stay here present with what's happening right this minute and actually most of us find that unbelievably difficult to achieve because the minute we do that our mind suddenly jerks into something we're worried about or something we're guilty about there's a lovely story that Stefan Rechtschaffen tells in his book and I've told it many times there's there's um, a Zen monk being chased through the jungle and he's running for dear life because there's a huge tiger behind him and he's running from this tiger and all of a sudden, like in those cartoon films, he can feel his legs moving, but there's no ground underneath him. He's falling. He's actually fallen off a cliff in the jungle that was not visible to him because of the trees. And his arm just jerks out and, and grabs onto a branch that's sticking out the face of the rock. And so there he is, just a couple of feet below the ledge where he just fell from. And this tiger is reaching down with these huge paws, just missing the top of his head. And he can smell its breath from there. And he's terrorized by this tiger. And then as he kind of gets his breath back, he begins to realize that just a few feet below him, there's a ledge around the face of the cliff. It's about a meter wide. So 
he could easily drop onto this ledge and save himself. Except that the minute he notices that, there's another equally ravenous tiger walking towards him along the ledge. Naturally, it's spotted him hanging there with the noise he's making. And now it's got its paws up on the wall and it's trying to grab for his feet, but not just quite reaching. So there he is caught between these two tigers terrorising him, probably about to lose his life any minute now. And he spies on the rock in front of him a bright green plant with an amazing bright ruby red wild strawberry hanging from it. And he looks at this strawberry and he can see all the little pips in its surface like little specks of gold. And that rich, silky, ruby red colour is so attractive, it looks like a jewel. And he realises if he stretches hard enough, he can actually reach, reach this strawberry and he picks it and he brings it to its nose and he smells. And it has a really, really sweet, rich smell. You can smell the sugar in it. And he decides to bite into it and the juice runs down his chin and he says, wow, how delicious. Now, that's significant that he's a Zen monk and he can do that, right? He can separate himself out from these twin tigers of guilt and worry and, and all the things that were upsetting his life and, and the fear of what might happen next and just be here just now and enjoy this strawberry. How many of us could actually do that in a situation of panic? like that but the intention of mindfulness in the intention of time shifting is exactly that it's because all of us at work or pretty well all of us at work are living our lives as if we're sandwiched between these two twin tigers of you know guilt and worry about i haven't done this i should have done that i'm i was failing in in something or the fear of what's going to happen next because I'm not going to be able to do this or I'm not going to have time and so on. And so we, we find ourselves in constant anxiety. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're walking along the street and there's a big truck right behind you clipping on your heels or, or maybe the feeling that you might have if the building caught fire and suddenly everyone's in a panic because the building's on fire, we've got to get out. It's almost for many of us as if life's like that, as if there's always this little voice in the back of our mind going, fire, 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 fire. And we're always in this very slight level of panic or anxiety. And so learning how to be in the present moment to enjoy that strawberry, so to speak, is really the art of what time shifting is about and what mindfulness is all about, is how do you stop and take a breath just for a moment and get your life back? even if it's only for a few seconds. And, you know, so many of us, when we're at work, what do we do? We, we take working lunch, we eat our sandwich at our desk, or we go to a meeting and we have sandwiches at the meeting. So the interesting thing about that is when you're eating lunch and doing some work, one of those things is not going to get your attention. And for most of us, it's usually we're concentrating on the work and we're shoveling food into our mouth, but we have no concept and experience of eating that meal. What would it be like if instead we were to make sure that whenever we eat, that's all we do, just eat? There was there was a beautiful book came out a number of years ago. I'm trying to remember what it was called now. It was, um, no, I can't remember the name of it. It was something conspiracy. And, and it talked about a group of people just eating a meal and, and the idea that they could actually 
deliberately pay attention to every chew, to every bite, to every flavor in the in the mouthful. Sometimes when I've trained people in mind mind mindfulness and and time shifting, building their emotional intelligence, we do an exercise where they take a raisin, um, like you know a dried grape, and they touch the raisin on the tip of their nose, and then they roll this raisin up to the bridge of their nose, and then they roll it along one of their eyebrows, and then they roll it back to the center again, then they roll it along the other eyebrow and back to the center again, and then down their nose and down the, the top lip, and they hold it between their lips, and then they roll it along their lips and so on, and, and they gradually take this raisin into their mouth but they don't bite it and they roll it around their tongue and they roll it around the teeth on the outside and on the inside. And gradually as the raisin becomes engorged with moisture, they then bite into it and feel the intensity of the flavor. And that takes probably about 10 minutes to do, but you're spending 10 minutes with all of your attention on a raisin. And it's an extraordinary experience. You know, you get people saying, well, I don't like raisins, but somehow that wasn't like liking raisins. That was, I've just never paid attention to food like that before. And so that's a simple thing you can do when you pay attention to your food. If you stop to have a sandwich or you stop to have lunch, actually get out of the office, get out of the space and just eat. Yeah. And just drink and savour it. Yeah, yeah. Or even at home, you know, having dinner in the evenings, make sure that the TV is off and stop checking your phone while you're eating at the same time. It's about being, you know, eating, enjoying the food that you're eating as well. So presumably you've you've cooked something and it's pretty tasty, but you want to be able to enjoy that as well. Otherwise, what's the point? Exactly. And and the thing is, when you do that, what you're doing is you're practicing taking time for yourself and you're having a rich sensory experience. Because if you're really savoring your food, if you're chewing it so that you get all of the flavor out of it, rather than, I, I mean, uh, talking just about that, about chewing food, many years ago, I, I went to um, uh, a retreat in, in Arizona. It was like a detox retreat where I just drank green vegetable juices for 10 days. And um, when I came back, I, was, I spent about a year just eating mostly raw food. And what I discovered when I was really paying attention to chewing and chewing until the food was so completely chewed that now I was ready to swallow it. What I noticed in doing that was each time I put my fork into another piece of food on the plate, I swallowed. So it was almost like I swallowed to be ready for the next mouthful. And again, that's that's another tiny example of what I was talking about. that We were always on our way to something. In other words, we never really hear. And so I noticed that if I actually didn't put the, my fork into the next piece of food until I swallowed, then all of my attention stayed with what was in my mouth and it didn't get distracted by what comes next. Yeah. Does that make sense? The whole idea of putting your, your cutlery down between mouthfuls yeah, really you know helps that. you to stay present to the, yeah, stay, stay yeah. present to what you're doing, to what you're eating. Really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I mean, these days, uh, you know, mindfulness is a word that most people will have an impression of what it means. And there are a number of companies now doing mindfulness training and so on. Well, back in the years when I'm talking about, back in the 1980s and then when I discovered um, 
this book at the time, there was a man called John Kabat-Zinn, who uh, is a medical doctor, worked at and still works at um, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Boston. And um, he set up a program in 1986 for patients in the hospital there who were um, suffering from terminal illness and spending a great deal of their time feeling fearful, angry, terrified, upset, stressed. And he devised a program which was eight, eight weeks of, of half day a week where people would meet in a room and they would just sit quietly and he would teach them how to meditate. And, and the meditation was simply being able to either sit or lie down, however they could be comfortable, and just pay attention to their breathing. And what he would teach them was, although you're paying attention to your breathing, your in-breath and then your out-breath, and you're staying here and wide awake in the present moment, it might well be that thoughts will enter your mind and you'll feel angry or feel upset, your body will hurt. And what he taught them to do was just say, yes, here it is, and to acknowledge what was going on and not try to make it go away, but just accept it in that moment. Um, and what people found was, even when they were in great pain, if they didn't lie there or sit there trying to make the pain go away, but said, yeah, I'm in terrible pain right now, somehow the pain was alleviated and, and they could stand it. And so they were training people in how to just handle what goes on, be aware of it without trying to make it go away. And there was a beautiful definition that Stefan Rechtschaffen gave of stress, which was, he said, stress is created by resisting what's happening to you in the present moment. In other words, if you don't resist and you go with the flow, you just accept what is happening. The energy disappears from what's happening. In other words, you don't create stress. You create stress by resisting. And so he says, in the present moment, there is no stress. You have to try and get out of the present moment, and that's what creates stress. And so again, if if you're feeling unhappy at work, one of the ways to begin to learn how do I how do I get back to feeling as though I have some kind of control on my life is if you start to do these little things like when you take a break, instead of spending the break looking at your phone, turn the phone off and have your break. And when you eat food, savor the food. Stay just with the food and don't do anything else. Uh, and you'll find your experience of just those moments of life itself changes. Now, I really like that whole, the idea of you create stress by resisting what's going on. So I can really relate to that. And it's, you know, whether you're annoyed or you're frustrated or or whatever it might be, but that's that's a feeling of resistance against whatever is happening in the present moment, I imagine. Exactly that. Exactly that. And it may be you're feeling angry and then you're angry about feeling angry. You're angry with yourself because you're angry. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And again, that's that creates feelings of stress as well. Just yeah. accept that you're angry for the moment yeah. uh, and that it's reasonable to feel angry. Yeah, yeah. One of, the, one of the other interesting things is when we're suffering like that or when we're stressed or when we're grief stricken, what's the usual response? Oh, do something to distract yourself. Fill your mind up. Get busy. Go to the gym. Um, use energy, you know, take your mind off things. The problem with taking your mind off things, that means you're resisting what you're taking your mind from. And that creates stress in itself. So that, you know, if you've just lost a loved one or, or, or your partner's just told you to get lost, they don't ever want to see you again. The, the grief attached to those is enormous. Yeah. 
And what do we do? We, we're terrified at the thought of feeling so much pain. So we think, what can I do to stop the pain? We take an aspirin, we go, we, we get drunk or we go out and party with our pals or we just do something to make the pain go away. What we don't ever do is accept that actually feeling grief stricken right now is natural. I've just lost something precious. And one of the things that when I'm working with people to build their emotional intelligence is we do an exercise and it's just a metaphorical exercise where we say, look, go and find a six foot circle, an imaginary six foot circle somewhere outside. And what I want you to do is go and sit in that six foot circle for half an hour. And you can't take your phone with you. You can't take a book with you. You can't take anything with you. You're just on your own in a six foot circle with your thoughts. And just be in that six foot circle for 30 minutes. And it's fascinating some of the different experiences people have with the idea of having to do nothing for 30 minutes. Stefan Rechtschaffen talks in his book and in his teachings about the idea that what happens if you were to sit on the couch and realize there's nothing you need to do for half an hour. There's nothing to do at all. What would you do? And, and most people are going to say, oh, well, I suddenly think I need to do the washing up or I'll make a couple of phone calls or I'll switch the TV on or I'll put on some music. What nobody ever thinks about is just sitting on the sofa going, ah, to do. Just in, enjoying the thought, the yeah. luxury of nothing to do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how if you find that you have a free block of time, that you'll definitely find something to do. Like you say, whether it's the washing up or in this day and age, it's reaching for your phone, isn't it? You know, yeah. has anyone liked my post on Facebook? Has anyone, you know, has anyone messaged me? Has anyone got in touch? Or, and you know, that's kind of the default reaction. And it's not even a phone call to reach out and connect with someone in the present moment. It's It's more you know looking for the endorphins of um whatever you get from social media or whether you play games online or whatever it might be we always if we have a block of time that's free we will definitely find something to do in that time rather than just sitting enjoying it or thinking well i've got half an hour maybe i'll do a 10 minute meditation a 15 minute meditation in that time and i mean the meditation doesn't even need to be a formal meditation it can just be simply enjoying sitting quietly and just breathing and just noticing what it feels like and yeah. noticing all those little twitches and ticks in your body that remind you that you're awake and uh, and just being curious and fascinated by well what's what thoughts pop into my mind when I'm sitting here quietly doing this yeah yeah mm-hmm. and one of the and one of the things you can do you can actually learn how to choose how you want to feel in any minute and uh, and this does require training if you like but the training is stunningly simple Uh, it's sitting quietly like that with the intention of just sitting quietly like that maybe for a few minutes maybe 10 minutes and it's just sitting quietly and imagining for example you might be in warm countryside leaning sitting with your back against a tree and you know nice freshly mown grass around you with those lovely smells and maybe imagining a little stream of water trickling past you and you can watch on this stream of water leaves and little twigs floating away floating down the stream and imagine those twigs and leaves are thoughts entering your mind so that because you're sitting still and doing nothing thoughts are going to enter your mind if you're awake and if you notice a thought comes into your mind 
and then you let it go, just like those leaves trickling down the stream, then another thought will take its place. And if you let that one go, another thought will take its place. So it's like you can sit quietly for a few minutes, just noticing which thoughts pop into your mind and just letting them go with curiously thinking, I wonder what comes next. And the interesting thing about that is it's different from when a thought enters your mind and you grab hold of it and you dress up in it and you start to act it out and you turn it into an internal movie because that's thinking, isn't it? So there's a difference between having thoughts and thinking. And one of the things it's possible to learn is that when you don't feel good, when you feel anything at all, in fact, anything that you might call an emotion, so you might think, well, if I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling tired, there's actually a physical sensation that tells you you feel that. And there's always, always a thought attached to it or a type of thought attached to those set of feelings. And so if you're feeling something and you think, I don't want to feel like this, I don't like this, then if you can have the presence of mind to pay attention to what's in my mind right now, what am I thinking as I feel like this, what has brought this on, and you notice the nature of what you're thinking, and you let it go and you choose to think something different, that feeling can't possibly stay there because it belongs to that thought. Uh, and so this way of just sitting quietly, practicing, noticing thoughts coming in and letting them go, noticing them come in and let them go so that you become skilled at deliberately letting thoughts go. Because actually we are good at that. We do that all the time quite naturally. If you think about it, you might be in the middle of doing something and you suddenly think, oh, I must remember to put the washing on tonight. And then you go back to what you're doing. So you've had that thought and you let it go and, and so on. So we, we do that all the time. We're already skilled at it. What we don't ever do, because we don't realize the connection between feelings and thoughts, is that when we feel bad or feel in any way we don't want to feel, is to pay attention to what's the thought that's creating this feeling. Do I want to feel like this now? No. Let the thought go and the feeling goes with it. And especially if you think, what would I rather be feeling? I'd rather be feeling relaxed and happy. Well, what's a relaxed, happy thought I could have? Oh, I know. And you think of something that is relaxed and happy and your mood changes straight away. Yeah, yeah. I like this whole idea of having thoughts versus thinking. So it's really being an observer of your own thoughts, kind of watching them, watching them as they go by. Um, but also the more you do it, the more you practice it, the better you become at it. So it's not about being amazing at it the first time you do it. It's about getting into the habit of doing it and repeated behavior, then, you know, you get better and better at actually doing it. Exactly, exactly. In fact, uh, a few years ago, I can't remember, it must have been 10, 15 years ago or more, I uh, created um, some very short recordings which guide you through that process so you can just sit quietly and listen to an audio and just follow the instructions. And it teaches you how to do that. And, and I, I think there's four of them. One's an introduction, then there's three different lengths. I think there's one about four or five minutes, one about six minutes, one about 10 or 11 minutes. Um, and you can just sit quietly and listen to these. And if your listeners will be interested, I'd be happy to make those recordings available. Yeah. Um, and, and people could uh, get in touch with me and I'll, I'll make those available. Or you could put them on your website if that's if that works. We'll definitely so, find so. a way. Yeah, we'll find a way to share share them. Yeah, I'm very happy to do that. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier in uh, our discussion, which is around this idea of, 
you know, the boss says I need to have something done by four, but I only have two and a half hours to do six hours worth of work. Yeah. You know, and how well, I suppose looking at it from both perspectives. So looking at it from the perspective of the employee that, quote unquote, has to do this six hours worth of work in a limited amount of time. So first of yeah. all, how to how to deal with that. But then also from the employer's perspective and how how to manage those kind of conversations and how to manage expectations of what needs to be done and taking this this whole concept of time out like where is this time pressure actually coming from think really thinking like challenging people to think about well where where is this for 4 p.m deadline actually come from where where is that you know what's driving that so um if we can talk about those two perspectives that would be really great certainly i'm glad to one of the things i observed many years ago when i was really studying this stuff i'm talking about the late 80s early 90s was that um because I was finding in myself how often you underestimate the time it takes to do something. And so I might have a report to write and I think, oh, that should take me, what, three or four hours? Yeah, I should have that done in about four hours. And then I would find six hours later, I was still barely halfway through. And I was thinking, how could I misunderstand how long this would take so much? And I found that I was doing it all the time. And I think with the kind of the speeding up of, of life and work and the, and the cramming more into time, into short time, we've all become really poor at estimating how long things take and we underestimate. And so um, what often happens at work is urgency is created by someone saying, well, I'm going to be free at four o'clock so that's when I can look at that report so they'll say to someone hey get that done by four o'clock because that's when I need it it is the only urgency is created by they've got a time slot when that's when they can look at it um, so it's you're going to suffer from my convenience so to speak and, and so one of the challenges is how do we get the people in charge to begin to understand what they're doing when they create that kind of thinking and bear in mind that some sometimes these things that they demand do actually take longer than the time they think they will take this wishful thinking um, element coming in and then of course on the receiving end the person who receives the instruction to do a piece of work and have it finished by a certain time will because they say well it's my job um, so they'll say yes to something and then only afterwards they regret having said yes because they realize there's not a hope that I could possibly do it by then. I was coaching um, an operations director in the health service in the UK a number of years ago and she was telling me, she said, I, I'm responsible for the work of 250 people in my area in the southwest of England and said so there's just me and my deputy we're the management team and then there's all the supervisors and team leaders in the departments but basically she and I are the management team and we run this I've just now been told by my chief executive we're taking on another region which is going to add another 500 people to my staff so now I'll be responsible for 750 people there'll still just be me and my deputy so she said, and it's my job, I have to do it, and it's the right thing for us to do. But the leadership team in that other region is saying to me, we know that you've been brought in to, to uh, improve things. Uh, we're okay with improving things, but you're not going to change anything around here. 
she said, well, sorry, that's a contradiction in terms. Change implies, or rather improving things implies change. We've got to change things. That's the point. And they said, no, we're going to resist everything that you do. So she was feeling very, very stressed and very upset. And I said to you, you know, how many hours do you work each week now? She said about 60, 65 sometimes. So I said, do you take work home at weekends? She said, yeah, sometimes. I often bring it back to work again on the Monday because I just don't have the energy to do it. And she started crying. She, she, she just felt really overwhelmed. And I said, you know, sitting on the outside looking in, it seems to me that you're behaving like a lunatic in a lunatic asylum. And she looked at me slightly shocked. And I said, I'm not meaning to be unkind, but you've just said yes to something which is mad. Your job can't be done. And she said, I have to do it, Bill. It's my job. And I said, but listen, listen to what I'm saying. Your job cannot be done. If you're already doing 60 hours a week with a staff of 250, how many more hours a week are you going to work to cover a staff of 750? Because I said, that's what's implied by it. And so anyway, we, we continued our coaching session. I, this was in October. I saw her again in February. And she told me she had spent Christmas in hospital with pneumonia. And I thought, yeah, I'm kind of not surprised with the workload she'd taken on. And she said, and just as she was coming out of her fever, they told her that she did nearly die. She had a small six-year-old daughter who was at home while she was in hospital at Christmas. She said, as I came out of my fever, I heard your voice saying, your job cannot be done. She said, and I called my chief executive when I was feeling ready to get back to work and said to him, look, I've been thinking a lot through my illness and I realise my job can't be done. And he said, I agree with you and you have my 100% support. What you and I need to talk about is what can be done because what's required is that you do, you, you're seen to be doing what needs to be done, but you and I know you will only do what can be done. You won't do what can't be done. Our job is to prioritise what that should be and give it our attention. And what she was realising was very often, you know, something that's urgent right now in a week's time is totally forgotten. Sometimes when you don't complete tasks, actually they never ever get completed. Because real life steps in and says, if you've got 24 hours or if you've got an eight hour working day, you can only do eight hours worth of work. And even though you pack it with, you know, three 15-hour jobs, you'll still only do eight hours with, of that 45 hours worth of work. That's just real life. And when you begin to make sense of that and recognise it, then you begin to recognise that when the boss says you have to do that and it's a huge job and you immediately know can't be done, that you have a way of saying, um, I'd really like to do a great job here, boss, um, to make sure I understand exactly what you want. Is it okay for me to ask you a couple of questions? Now, the boss isn't going to say, no, you can't ask me questions because that would be implying I don't want you to do a good job, right? And so then you say, what exactly is it? Let me be clear. What exactly is what you want me to do? And when I present it to you, you say you want it by four o'clock. How exactly do you want me to give it to you at four o'clock? What's what's the, the method of, of delivery? And then you, you because 
by asking those questions, the boss is going to recognise immediately what I'm asking you to do cannot possibly be done in the next three hours. So in other words, you kind of bring it, you wake yourself up to the fact that, oh, hang on a minute, I'm not sure I can handle this. Um, by saying, could I ask you some questions to help me clarify and make sure I can do the best possible job? It wakes the other person up as well to what you're asking. And when they then start to spell out what exactly they want, there's no way that they can believe that you can do it. And so they're more likely to have available to them the, the awareness to adjust what they're asking you for. Uh, so they might be saying to you, look, actually, I realise probably that's the most important bit. Do that part first, and then we'll talk later about how we're going to get the rest done. And you're more likely to find that kind of negotiation of what can be done, what will be done, instead of what needs to be done. That's, that's one of the ways that I certainly approach it when I'm working with people who are in that position. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can really relate to that, um, especially when you have clients um, that you're dealing with. I know certainly in my corporate background, we would have a lot of pressure from clients to deliver stuff. And then, you know, you'd you'd make yourself available then to ask to answer any questions that came up as a result of the analysis that had been done or the report that had been sent through. And you'd find maybe a week or two later that the questions start coming through and you realize that the deadline was actually just fabricated that they they didn't need it by that deadline they thought they would have a window of time to maybe review it but actually it got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and and further down on their priority list um having kind of broken your your neck nearly to um to try and get it done within that deadline that they had created Mm. but i think it's just a symptom of of people's feeling this time pressure all the time yeah time's passing we can't get it back if we don't get it done now then we're in trouble and and we create all of these illusions of disaster um, because we can't cram things into the time and the fact is time can only be expanded when you get into the present moment and you realize your sense of time disappears now i was just going to say so time shifting is about the way we distort our notion of time and how we get ourselves in trouble by doing that and how it is possible to learn just little techniques that bring you into the present moment and allow you to take a breath and say, oh, yeah, actually right this minute, I'm okay. There's nothing happening. I'm upsetting myself by thinking about what's going to happen or what isn't going to happen. And if I just stay here right now and notice I'm okay right now, that gives me at least a moment of relief. And the, this whole acceptance, going back to what we said earlier, accepting things as they are. But I, I loved, Bill, what you said about how that lady's manager was so supportive of her as well. So it's like only we two know exactly what it is that you're doing. I will help you to prioritize what to do. Um, but to the outside world, it looks like you're doing everything when in reality you're doing what exactly what can be done. And it's it's finding ways to collaborate together. So it's not about I'm telling you what to do. It's about working with, you know, with managers and employees together and finding ways to prioritize. Well, what really, really needs to be done versus, you know, what what can go away if it if it doesn't get done, it actually just disappears. Yeah, it is. And, and, and ideally, I mean, that's that's the ideal workplace, isn't it, where where people think about what needs to be done in order to make the business work and, and they pay attention to what can be done and who's the best person 
and how do we between us make it happen rather than I'm just pressuring you, I've made some decisions, you're going to execute it. And that's where the pain and the, well, I mean, it's, it's like the command and control uh, kind of environment rather than uh, a culture of trust and mutual support and, uh, and delight in the work we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the kind of environment that everyone wants to work in. Ideally, yeah. And and it's so elusive, isn't it, really? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Bill, so if people want to find out more about this, the whole concept of time shifting, how can they how can they reach you? Well, they can they can reach me on my um, my website or, or my email address. Let me give you my email address first. It's Bill uh, at bitnerphillips.com and Bitner is B-I-T-N-E-R. And Phillips is with two L's, dot com. Bill at bitnerphillips.com. And uh, bitnerphillips.com is the website. And I'm, and I'm also, uh, I've set up a small outfit with a friend of mine called Kevin Reed. And we've set up something called Resilience Plus. So I have another email, which is bill at resilienceplus.ie. And we're specialising in in well-being at work and 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 the very kind of thing that you're you're working towards, Eva. Brilliant. Um, and and working with organisations to improve people's lot when they're in the workplace and getting the job done. I will also uh, make available to you that article that yeah. that you could either put on your website or again, people could write write to me and and request it and I'll send it happily. And I'll make those uh, audio recordings available to you so that you can distribute it to people that are interested in, in downloading those. I can share it in the show notes and that's no problem at all. And before I forget, Bill, the question I ask all of my guests, what makes you happier at work? Well, it, it's doing work that for me isn't work. I, I'm, I'm playing at what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. Um, so I, I have a real luxury in that the work that I've gradually moved into over all of these years is satisfies me so deeply that that um, that's what makes me happy at work. And as, there's, there's, there's a fantastic. Yeah, that's it. And there's so when you coach people, um, coaching is a very intimate uh, process because you get to talk about things very often that that person cannot tell anyone else. So you become a unique person in that person's life at that moment that they can tell you things that they can't tell anyone else. That's a, that's a huge privilege. Uh, and I find that that intimacy, that ability to get so close to someone in a genuine desire to help them move in a direction that pleases and helps them. That's so brilliant. I mean, what more could anyone possibly want in a job yeah yeah fantastic that's brilliant thank you so much bill really really enjoyed our conversation today uh, i certainly learned a lot about this whole concept of time shifting and our our perception of time and, and how to change that and what really struck a chord with me was this whole idea of how i suppose the illusion of time and and how that how we can overcome that in the workplace specifically so Indeed. thank you for that well i'm glad look it's it's a real delight speaking to you Eva. i'd be happy to do it again anytime Brilliant. so thank you for inviting me thanks so much that was bill phillips talking about time shifting 
And I'm just going to summarize now what we spoke about. So the first key point was that time is an illusion and it's something that we created to denote the start and finish of events. And really at any given time, our attention could be elsewhere. So whether it's in the past or in the future, and we tend to allow ourselves to be limited by time or controlled by time, which leads to stress. And the key to overcoming that is really to be present with what's happening now. And we have the example of eating. So savoring the moment, really taking time to actually enjoy it and be present in the moment and taking time for yourself, having a rich sensory experience. We also spoke about how we're always on our way to something. And really what we need to do is acknowledge and accept that this is how things are. Uh, Stress happens when you resist what's actually happening. And that's the key driver of stress. How to be happier at work is to be present and to actually savor the moment. So taking that time. So whether it's going for lunch and actually enjoying your lunch rather than feeling the stress about thinking about something that happened or think worrying about something that's going to happen in the future. We spoke as well about how to choose how you want to feel. And this is an area I was really, really interested in. So the whole concept of having thoughts versus thinking and that feelings are as a result of the thinking that take that takes place. So think back to how you're feeling or experience those feelings at the time. Think about, well, what thought is creating that feeling for me? And trying to deliberately let your thoughts go. The more you do this, the better you get at it. So it's really about having that practice and thinking about like what can be done versus what quote unquote needs to be done. So really focusing on those priorities that you have. And we spoke as well about trying to cram in too many things into a short space of time. And the kind of questions that you can ask if someone else is, you know, if this pressure is coming from someone else, the kind of questions that you can ask, what exactly is what you want me to do and how would you like me to deliver it? And this gets them thinking a little bit more about what they're actually asking you to do. A tool that I used to use in my corporate life would be replacing the words, um, you know, when do you need this by? That's often something that will ask, when do you need this by? And people will say when they need it by and they'll, they'll pick sort of an arbitrary deadline. Something even better that I used to use is when will you be using this? Which forces people to think, well, when do I actually have time to review what it is that someone is sending me through? And it really gets them to think about what can be done. I will share details of what Bill spoke about in the show notes. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so through my website, empowermentcoaching.ie. And you can also reach out across all social media platforms. And I also have a Facebook group called Happier at Work, which is related to this podcast. And I hope to see you there. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast.